How are we doing under the heat lamps, RPYA? Proof that God loves us, isn't it? Hey, well, it is good to be with you. If you happen to be here for the very first time, a special welcome. Welcome to Rocky Peak Young Adults. We're glad you're joining us. If you, for some reason, whether you're for the first time or you're a million time and we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rocky Peak. So most weekends, you're going to find me yelling at people behind this building, sometimes online. But I'm really excited to be here because over the years, RPY has always been one of my favorite places to be able to come and teach and learn alongside you. So I'm not really excited to be here. I'm excited to be kicking off this brand new series. And you might be wondering as you look at me, why oh why am I wearing a San Francisco 49ers jersey when they were not in the Super Bowl? And frankly, we did not have a great season. Well, I think it's appropriate to a relationship series. This is showing commitment. This is showing loyalty till death do you part. And I don't know if any of you were watching or following along with the game, um, but the Niners were actually in the Super Bowl last year, and we lost to Kansas City pretty good in the fourth quarter. And I don't consider myself a petty man, but watching the team that beat us last year get surgically dismantled felt really good. I got to chase that feeling. That felt really, really good to be able to. So I'm enjoying life right now. Hey, uh, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pray to get started to do that. But to get yourself ready, I'm going to invite you. Get your Bibles ready, whether an app or physical, because we're going to be uh, diving into them tonight. So let's pray. Father, we're here because of you. For some of us, we've experienced the truth of who you are. For some of us, we're kind of exploring, like, are you who you say you are? Is this other image of Jesus real? Wherever we're at, Jesus, we're all here for a purpose, and that purpose is for you to reveal more of yourself. So as we open up your word, which is living and active, Jesus, as I get to point an RPYA to it and learn alongside of them, I want to pray the words that I often pray when I teach, my favorite verse in Scripture, the words of John the Baptist. I pray that you, God, become more. And I pray that I would become less as the communicator, that I would be forgotten, but that you would be remembered in the forefront of what we take away after our time is done. And so, Jesus, we don't need to ask you to speak because you already are. As your people, as people exploring you, we're committed to listen to what your word has to say. And it's in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, Amen. Hey, so as you saw from that bumper that's going to get us copyright striked, then we're kicking off a brand new series called Relationology. And over these next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at different facets of what it looks like to not only begin, but to grow and maintain what we would call healthy relationships. Now, over these next three weeks, there is going to be an emphasis on dating or romantic relationships, but really these principles are going to benefit all kinds of relationships. So relationships with your family, relationships with your friends, relationships with coworkers, especially your relationship with Jesus. And so when it comes to kicking that off, it comes to this first question, when it comes to a healthy relationship, what is the starting point? And so if you take of dating in particular, if you were to say, what is the starting point when it comes to dating? So often, I, would, I bet if I went around this area, we would all have different answers, but they would tend to have one thing in common. Usually our starting point would involve the outward. What I mean by that is usually when it comes to relationships, our starting point is the other 
person. Meaning, what do I desire in the other person? What do I want the other person to be like? Have you heard the term, what is my type? so to speak. This would be great. This would be good. And hear me very clearly, that can be a very good thing, but that is not where the starting point should be when it comes to relational help. When it comes to a healthy relationship of all kind, not just romantic, but being healthy in any kind of relationship, it requires us to ask the question first, what is the state of my heart? See, often we look, we go quickly to the external when we should be starting on the internal. What is the state of my heart? And what we're going to see over these next three weeks, that that is not only the key starting point, but if we want to continue maintaining and growing health in all kinds of relationships, that needs to be a regular rhythm all throughout. And the reason why this is so critical is that when we go to scripture, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it takes things that I think I know, and it shows me that my my mind is teeny tiny. It takes things that I think I know and it shows me a much bigger definition and truth. And here's what I mean. If I were to say, what does it mean to follow your heart? I'm willing to bet most of you would picture some type of Disney movie. Most of you would picture some sort of Disney soundtrack. If you think about it, we grew up on these Disney stories and they're roughly all the same, right? There's usually a boy, there's usually a girl, they fall in love, there is some sort of calamity that keeps them apart and represented by some villain. They resolve that calamity, usually through murder, and then they live happily ever after. And why did they live happily ever after? Because they followed their heart hearts. Their emotions led them to singing with chipmunks. It led them to overcoming the sea witch. Whatever it is, they followed their hearts. And so again, if I were to ask you, what does it mean to follow your heart? You would go, listen to your emotions. And emotions lie. See, hear me very, very clearly, RPY. Emotions are a gift from God. Emotions truly are a gift from God. They are a way that he has allowed us to feel his creation within us, his creation around us. But too often we have taken emotions and elevated it to a place where it doesn't belong. We have taken emotions and said, this is what it means when we talk about our heart. And what we're doing is emotions are this much of the story. It's like the first five minutes of the movie. And you know why? Because God designed emotions as a gift, but he designed them in a very particular way that emotions are temporary. God designed emotions not to last, but to be a catalyst to lead you to learn to make some different choices. And how do we know this? Well, when we go to the Bible itself and it talks about heart, it doesn't talk about it in a disnified way. There's no Ariel or Prince Eric or anything in scripture. When scripture talks about the heart, it refers to it as a better term would be the control center of everything that makes you, you, the totality of your identity. When scripture talks about heart, it's talking about your very identity. What makes you, you? And you are more than just your emotions. And so let me illustrate it this way. As I'm sure many people are, I'm a big fan of The Office. And there's a very famous, I mean, many lines in The Office are famous. But in the season two finale, 
there is a very famous line between Michael and Toby, you know, HR, Toby Flenderson. And Toby does something that Michael doesn't like. And Steve Carell just gives him this wonderful deadpan. And he just asks him, why are you the way that you are? Why are you the way that you are? And this is, to me, the genius of The Office. That is a brilliant question, isn't it? How many times in the last week have you asked that about another person? Why are you the way that you are? What happened in your life? But don't raise your hand, but how many times in the last week have you asked that about yourself? Why are you the way that you are? Are you aware of how you are? Why are you the way you are? And the answer is because of what's in your heart. So if we want to have healthy relationships of any kind, it starts by asking that question. What is in my heart? What is the state of my heart? What is the identity that flows out of my heart? And there's a lot of different ways you can ask this question. So tonight for our time, I just want to propose one, and it's this. Whose voice is shaping your heart? Every heart is being shaped by a voice because that's how our hearts were designed to be shaped and transformed by a voice. But not every heart is being shaped by the voice of the Lord. And so what I want to do in our time with scripture is I want to dig into this specifically with a key passage in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5. Now about several months ago, back in September, I got to lead our adult services through this. It's going to be in a section called the Beatitudes, and some of you might be a little bit familiar with that, but I thought it applied really, really well here. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time going in because Jesus is essentially asking the same question. Whose voice is shaping your heart? And again, if we want to have healthy relationships of any kind, it is essential that we begin to understand whose voice has the most has the most influence over our hearts because that has the most influence over our identity. So if you got your Bible, open it up. If you got your app, turn it on. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. That's the very first book of the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5. And for those of you that are listening to me teach for the first time, one thing I'm always very big on is context. And so I want to give you a little bit of context. Because what can happen sometimes when you're hearing people teach out of the Bible is that it can feel kind of like you've been dropped in a movie that's already been going for two hours and you're trying to play catch up. So context kind of gives us a little bit of, oh, okay. So we understand the big picture of what's going on. So Matthew chapter five kicks off the next three chapters of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gives. And so he is gonna be going through talking about very specific things. But if I were to sum up the Sermon on the Mount, What Jesus is saying is that Jesus is declaring that because of him, heaven has now broken through on in our world. Heaven has now broken through on earth. And because of that, it is now creating a brand new reality. And that new reality is what we would call the kingdom of God. 
And so what we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is declaring that he brings a new reality. And he's also saying that to live in this new reality requires a new type of person. A person that has been transformed, not simply on the surface, but that has been transformed at the core of who they are from the inside out. And so what we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus comes back to these two key phrases. The first is, you have heard it said. And the second phrase is, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Now that goes back to the question I asked earlier, right? Whose voice is shaping your heart? So Jesus is acknowledging that head on. And he's asking this question, who is the loudest voice in your life? Because a lot of us, the loudest voice is a voice apart from the voice of Jesus. See, the enemy is going to amplify other voices because he doesn't want your heart to hear the voice of Jesus. Because if it does, it will be shaped by him and he loses. So what the enemy does is that he takes other voices, he takes other noise. In fact, he even takes good voices and he amplifies them to the place of king in your heart so that they begin shaping you. And so for some of us, the loudest voice in our heart is the voice of our parents or our family. For some, the loudest voice in our heart is the voice of our culture. For some of us, the loudest voice in our heart is the the voice of our hopes and dreams. For some of us, the loudest voice in our heart is the voice of our failures and our pain and our hurt. For some of us, the loudest voice in our heart is the voice of politics. For some of us, the loudest voice in our heart is the voice of pride, what I have determined to be right and wrong. And so Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. And so he's putting us all at a critical crossroads and said, you have heard all of these other voices. Now you're going to hear mine. And what do you choose because of it? His voice is a loud truth and a clear picture that his voice transforms the state of our heart. And so that's the entire Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus begins in the section we're going to be in with a section called the Beatitudes. Now that's a Latin word. Remember the original Bible is not written in English. It's a Latin term that translates to the word blessed or blessed. And if you've ever been around a church context, you've heard blessed before, right? And usually when you hear people use it in a very good-hearted way, they use it in a transactional way. Oh, that worked out. So it was a blessing. Somebody helped me out with that. They blessed me. And and that's fine. That's good. Don't, Don't think I'm knocking that. But that's just an aspect of what it means. When we dig into the Greek, the original language that the New Testament was in, to be blessed in the Beatitudes is the word makarios, which has nothing to do with transactions, but it has everything to do with the state of existence. Blessing is not something you do. It's not something you receive. It is who you are because of the work of Jesus. And so what this means, why he starts the Sermon on the Mount this way, is he's saying, because of me, Jesus, you are blessed, regardless of your circumstances. Because of me, Jesus, bringing the kingdom to you and inviting you to be part of my kingdom, you are blessed. And there are going to be times when your circumstances may reflect that. And you will say, I'm blessed all around. 
and there are going to be times like the last 11 months that absolutely suck. And the message Jesus is saying, you are still blessed because that has not changed what Jesus has done and what he is doing. It's not minimizing your pain, but he's saying, I can bless you despite your pain. And so what we are seeing in the Beatitudes is identity. What Jesus transforms our heart to be. And so if you're asking yourself, am I ready to engage in a healthy relationship? Then my answer to that is we're going to go through the Beatitudes and I'm going to ask you, is this who you're allowing Jesus to grow you into? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly walk through the Beatitudes. We're going to start in verse 3. Now, again, briefly, it's going to be a little bit like drinking like a fire hose, but you guys can handle this. You're RPYA. You could faithfully do an entire message on each of these. And so I'm going to task you with something. After tonight, sometime in the next 24 hours, I would love for you to just sit and read the Beatitudes slowly. Let the Lord speak to you through it. So I'm just going to give you a brief overview. And again, this is, who, this is what the voice of Jesus does in our hearts. So verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this is where our hearts begin their transformation. And so what he means by poor, and again, a lot of us would hear that word and go, I don't want any part of me described as poor. But let's allow the Lord to define what he means by this. When he said, blessed are the poor, it means that poor in spirit, it means that we are aware that we are completely dependent on the power of Jesus in our lives. And we are dependent on Jesus to provide for the needs at the core of who we are. And so let's think about this. Spiritually, I can't forgive my own sin. You can't forgive your own sin. Jesus is the only one that can forgive sin. Spiritually, I cannot transform my heart. I cannot transform my life. I cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven without the work of Jesus in my life. And so what this is saying is that I am beautifully, we are beautifully dependent on who Jesus is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we declare dependence on the life and death of Jesus, we experience his kingdom. When we stop trying to do it on our own, when we begin listening to his voice above all else, that's when we experience the kingdom of God. And that's why heart transformation starts there. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So to mourn means that we've lost something or someone that is valuable to us. For many of us, we know that experience all too well where we've had to say goodbye to family or friends. For some of us over this last 11, 12 months, we've had to say goodbye to ways of life or to what we considered normal. And we need to mourn it. And hear me very clearly as Jesus writes this, the mature mourn. Mourning is the act of the mature. Sometimes we get afraid, well, I shouldn't be mourning. I should just trust God. God gives us permission to mourn. But as we read through this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We are given permission to mourn, and Jesus has come into our lives to enter into our mourning, to remind us that our mourning, as real as it is, has an end date. One day we will no longer mourn, and Jesus has stepped into our pain to remind us of that. So again, 
dependent on him, mourning is worship. The next one, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, aside from Sunday school or Awana, you often don't hear the word meek used in a positive sense. But again, we need to let the Bible define our terms. In the Greek, this means gentle. This means humble. Another word that this is translated is the word humility. And let's be very, very clear about something. Often in our culture, we speak, yes, humility, yes, humility is a good trait. But when it comes time to actually show humility, we show our true colors and show, no, humility is weakness. One of the primary characteristics of Jesus is humility. And so as Christ followers, we need to understand when we look at the life of Jesus, his is a life marked by strength. Humility is not a doormat in which you let people walk over you, but it is true power and true strength because ultimately what we get jumbled up in is how we define humility. Humility is not thinking I am the worst person that ever existed. That is not humility. Humility does not mean not having a healthy God-given confidence in the strengths and abilities that he's given you. Humility is the declaration that God is God and I am not. That's humility. And it sounds so easy, but too often in my own life, I try to flip that. No, I'm, I've, I've got this. I'm in control. Do what I want you to do. And ultimately, humility is what marked Jesus. And humility was the strength that not only endured the cross and crucifixion, but it's the strength that conquered sin and death when he rose again. That's humility. And he says that, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. See, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about taking territory back from the devil, taking territory back from the enemy. What we're told here by inheriting the earth is that by showing the same humility that Jesus did, we take territory back. We win the war. And that starts in our hearts. That is the primary territory the enemy is trying to take. And it is humility that takes it back. So the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, righteousness is often this very religious sounding word. But righteousness at its most basic is living in right relationship with God. And I love this metaphor to hunger and thirst because I love food. Food is an incredible thing. And so most of my day is divided by waiting for the next meal. And so as it uses this metaphor to hunger and to thirst, in other words, we need sustenance to both survive, but we also need sustenance to thrive. You may be getting just enough to not die, but that is not enough to grow and be healthy. And so to hunger and thirst means that, again, I want to experience God's righteousness, who he is, not just to get enough so that I don't go to hell, but so I can thrive and grow because of it. And he says that those that make that choice will be filled. What that means is you're going to be more aware of Jesus in your life. So let's go to the next one, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <laughs> Man, we love receiving mercy and hate showing it, don't we? 
and that's my sin. But the entire Bible is telling one big story over multiple television seasons, if you will, in different ways. And one of the central themes of the entire Bible is God passionately loving a people that do not deserve it at all. That is one of the themes of the entire Bible. And one of the most beautiful things about Jesus working in our lives is that he empowers you as imperfect human beings to show mercy in a seemingly impossible way, but the same way that he shows mercy to us. Even enemies, as Jesus is going to talk about later in the Sermon on the Mount, when he commands us to love our enemies and show mercy to those who would bring us harm. So hear me, mercy does not mean that we don't stand against sin. But mercy means that we can choose to do it in a way that still loves and values an individual without betraying biblical truth. Not to stand against it in a way that destroys and devalues what God has created. And what I love is how he ends it. For they will be shown mercy. As we show mercy, we will be reminded that we are the recipients of a great mercy. That Jesus has loved us and continues to show his mercy to us. The next one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, this goes back to what we've talking about, that sin messed up our hearts. God designed us to know exactly who we are and what we're capable of, but sin messed all of that up. It corrupted our identity. And so when the Bible speaks of purity, too often we immediately go to sexual purity, and that's an aspect of it, and it's an important aspect of it that Kelly's going to talk about later, I'm sure, in this series. But when the Bible talks about purity, again, it talks about living in right relationship. It talks about God washing the sin out of our heart in all areas, because if you see there... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I feel like sometimes in my own life, I repent because I'm forced to. But when I think of when Jesus teaches us to pray, in one of the regular examples he gives, it's repentance. And we again look at that going, well, does God just want me to live in guilt? Does God want me to just focus on how awful I am? No. Because when you regularly repent, you are regularly saying, I don't want anything in my heart to be a roadblock between me knowing you. It is a way of maintaining your most important relationship with God. And when we regularly ask for our hearts to be purified, we experience God. If you have ever felt distant from God, one of the first places to go is check your level of repentance. Am I letting go of sin that's keeping me from seeing God in my life? The next one, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so in Hebrew, there's a word called shalom, which is often used as a greeting, but that word is peace. But not how we kind of define peace, like, hey, peace. In Hebrew, the word shalom means to be made whole and restored by God. And so now that adds a beauty to their greeting, right? Instead of saying hello, when they're saying shalom, in essence, they're saying we have been restored and made whole by God. When they say goodbye, they use the same word, shalom. They're saying we have been restored and made whole by God. 
See, what did Jesus do by coming into our messed up world? By coming into our messed up lives? He entered into a war zone to bring peace. Not just a ceasefire, but peace meaning to restore relationship with God when there wasn't any. He entered intentionally, not to continue to escalate, but to bring a peace that wasn't there before. And so now, as Jesus's people, what we have the opportunity to do is we have the opportunity again to do what he did. He empowers us to find places in which there is no peace. And I got to tell you, if you look around this world, not that hard. And he calls us imperfectly to intentionally enter in to those places, not to escalate, but to bring peace. See, the phrase is not, blessed are the peacekeepers. The phrase is, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones that are going in where there is no peace and showing them of a peace that can only come from Jesus. And you catch that second part? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. If we allow God to transform the state of our heart to do what he did, we are continuing the family legacy. We are being peacemakers because our father is a peacemaker and we're remembering who we really are. And then the last couple of verses, they read together, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so there's a lot here and I don't have the time to dig in too much, but in essence, what he's saying is that we will experience hardships on this side of heaven. And that doesn't come as a shock to any of you, right? And it is in our hardships that the truth of who Jesus is becomes, go, be, digs beautifully deeper into our hearts. There is something about Jesus that we can only learn in the depths of hardship. And there is a truth about what it means to be blessed that we can only learn at our lowest moments. And Jesus is very intentional in his words that he begins in the same way, but then he noticed he made it personal. It's the first time he goes, blessed are you. And what is he saying by that? He is calling you out. This is not mere words on a page or words on a screen. This is the voice of Jesus, our King. He is seeing you. He is calling you. And he's saying in your lowest moments, in your darkest times, in your most ardent trials, I am there with you. Blessing you. You may lose everything else, but you will never lose me. Blessed are you when everything starts caving in around you. He makes it personal. Because being a Christ follower is not what we do in times of peace. It's what we choose when everything falls apart. And the reason, again, why I share this passage is that if we want to have healthy relationships of any kind, it begins with our hearts and asking the question, whose voice is shaping our hearts? Because what I just read is the vision God has for each of your hearts. 
is the vision God has for your identity if you let him lead and you choose to follow his leading. And so just, we just have a few minutes left. What I want to do is I just want to share two truths about what happens when his voice begins to shape our hearts and how those will overflow and impact all of our relationships. And the first truth is this. Jesus' voice brings strength to our hearts. When our hearts are being shaped by the voice of Jesus, he is empowering them in a way beyond we could possibly imagine. God's vision for your identity is one of strength. God's vision for your relationships is one of strength. But our relationships will not be strong unless he is speaking his strength into our hearts. The Beatitudes are describing someone who is now becoming strong because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do. The Beatitudes are describing a person who has the strength to now do relationships well in a brand new way. Because if we look at the Beatitudes, let's be honest, it is far easier to do the opposite, huh? It is far easier to do the opposite of the beatitude. If I just take three of them, right? To be righteous means to not only acknowledge that I've messed up, but it means I need to repent of it. And to do that requires strength. It is easier to do the opposite, to ignore it, to justify it, to pretend that it's not there. To be meek, to be humble means that I'm going to sacrifice my right to be right. And that's hard because I think I'm pretty bright most of the time, which is my pride issue. It means that I'm sacrificing my right to be right and I'm submitting to the control and leadership of Jesus and that requires strength. It is far easier to ignore what Jesus says, to ignore what the Bible says and to go in the other direction. When it comes to mercy, it is far harder to love someone that does not deserve it. It is far harder to love someone who is an enemy, who wishes to do the name of Jesus harm, who wishes to you individually harm. It is far harder to love God when God seems like our enemy, when we've lost because of what we feel like he has done. It requires strength to show mercy and it requires a strength that you and I don't have. It requires a strength that's supernatural. It requires a strength that only comes from the voice of Jesus. And so when it comes to doing relationships well, it's all about our hearts. And we cannot separate our hearts from who Jesus is. We cannot separate healthy relationships from who Jesus is. Now let me invite you to take a spiritual deep breath. Because some of you, as we go through this, the Beatitudes, you're sitting there going, this sounds like the AP class of being a Christ follower. I don't think I could even do one of those well, let alone all of them. And real talk, sometimes reading the Beatitudes is intimidating because you sit there and all you're seeing is all the ways you don't measure up. And again, here's the beauty of what Jesus means. 
The Beatitudes aren't meant to be who you are now. They're meant to be a roadmap of who you can be if you follow the leading of Jesus. When you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you his spirit before you reflected the Beatitudes. He gave you his spirit to begin teaching and leading and growing and transforming you. When you gave your life to Jesus, you took on a brand new name of Christ follower. And that name is an aspirational name of this is where we're starting and this is now where we're going if we follow his leading. It is his strength. You might look at some of those and go, Dre, it is. it would be impossible for me to be merciful, for me to show humility, for me to find joy in persecution. Yeah. You know what else is impossible? Rising from the grave. And I'm not asking you to do it. We're asking Jesus' spirit to do it. And let me give you an illustration from scripture. Probably the most famous disciple out of the 12 is Peter. And if I ask you, why is Peter the most famous disciple? Because he's the disciple that makes us feel better about ourselves. Because Peter is yelled at in scripture quite a bit. Now, again, this is a subject for another time. Let's not overlook that Peter is actually praised also more than any of the other 12. But Peter is yelled at quite a bit. Remember, this is the get-behind-me-Satan guy. When we first meet Peter, so let's take John's Gospel in chapter 1, Jesus renames Peter. And especially in Jewish culture, renaming carried a lot of significance because one, to be renamed meant you were coming under the authority of the person doing the renaming. But secondly, you were being named or renamed as a vision of who you were intended to grow into. And so he takes this man named Simon and he names him The Rock. No Dwayne Johnson connotation. He names him The Rock. And if you think about the characteristics of a rock, what would a rock be? Strong, steady, handle stress and pressure well, emotionally healthy. If you are familiar with Peter in the Gospels in any way, does that describe him? No! He is the complete opposite. When we look at Peter in the Gospels, he is impulsive. He is prideful. He is stubborn. He is angry. He's the guy that multiple times thought that the best course of action was to yell at Jesus and tell him he's wrong. Man, that is so relatable, doesn't it? So why did Jesus name him the rock? Not because that is who he was but that is who he could be. I don't know your story. I don't know your story in relationships. I don't know your failures and where you've dropped the ball. But I know this. The same Jesus that took that guy. And if you read later in the New Testament, his writings, First and Second Peter, That is a radically different man who has learned what it means to live the Beatitudes, then he can do the same for us. We have been renamed Christ followers, and that's his vision for where his strength is going to lead us. So the first truth is that Jesus' voice brings stability to our, excuse me, brings strength to our hearts. The second truth I just want to close on real quick is this. Jesus' voice brings stability to our hearts. Instead of our identity 
our emotional health, everything being all over the place, when Jesus becomes the voice that is shaping our hearts, it brings stability. Some of you have experienced this already. One of the absolute poisons that you can bring into a relationship is instability. Internal instability. If you are all over the place, you are poisoning any type of relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't feel different things, but I'm talking about extremes. I'm talking about not knowing what you're going to get. You are putting a weight on your partner's shoulders that their shoulders were never created to bear. Instability may not seem like a big deal, but it really is. Let me give you an illustration of this. So the week before Christmas, and this has happened many times, but the week before Christmas, we experienced some really rough winds in Simi Valley. Now I'm a proud parent. I got three little kids and we've been living in a pandemic. So we bought our kids a trampoline at some point because it gives them something to do. Trampolines, as I came to find out, don't do well in the wind. And so I got this call from my wife one day as I was here working going, you're never going to believe what happened. Corey, would you throw that picture up in the air? That's my trampoline. Now, it didn't leave the backyard, which my wife was really worried about, but she said, man, the wind caught it, threw it up, and just slammed it on the ground. And so my wife, being the amazing person that she is, she ran outside, found some, uh, found some ropes that we had, and strapped that thing to a tree. So it wouldn't go anywhere, but we weren't sure what's going to happen. And so what ended up happening was that it wasn't stable. Yeah, in times of peace, it was fine. But when the winds kicked, when the winds kicked in, it wasn't stable. And two things happened. One, it caused damage to itself. And two, it caused damage to other external things. That thing went up and cut my internet coax cable. That thing knocked out my Wi-Fi, as horrific as that sounds, the day before Christmas Eve. Spectrum does not come out during Christmas, all right? There's no Phineas and Ferb in my house to be able to watch for the kids when that happens. You can go ahead and pull that down. But the reason I share that illustration is that when our heart does not have stability, it causes damage internally and it causes damage externally to our relationships. And so we need to kind of heart check and ask, is my heart stable? Is my heart rooting itself in the voice of Jesus? And again, there's a lot of ways to do this. I just want to give you one. James chapter 1, verse 19, is one of the most beautiful and one of the most challenging verses in the entire Bible. And it says this, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's how you check or one way you can check the stability of your heart is we can agree with that and think that is a great verse until we feel challenged. How does your heart handle the situations in which you don't want to be quick to listen, in which you don't want to be slow to speak or slow to become angry? Because the reason I say that shows the stability of our heart, because this is the voice of God. And what we're saying in those moments is, hey, when it's calm and it doesn't cost me, yeah. 
But when that person crosses the line, God, get out of the way. What's the stability of your heart? And before you wonder and go, well, that was so easy for them. The book of James was written to Jewish believers that had been driven out of Jerusalem because of death and persecution and were scattered away from their church family. James is writing to believers who are deeply suffering and have lost so much. And in the opening chapters, he doesn't go, it's okay, your circumstances are going to go better. What does he do? What's the state of your heart? Why? Not because he's unfeeling, but he knows you will not survive this if you are not checking your heart. Your relationships will not survive, your heart will not survive without regular heart checks. So when we go to the voice of Jesus, it brings stability to our hearts. And so how do we hear his voice? And again, if you've not been around church for a long time, or even if you have, you, you sometimes hear this phrase, you got to hear the voice of God. You got to hear the voice of God. You got to hear the voice of God. And we begin to think that it's got to be this like mystical thing that I got to walk around the worship center and chant, or I got to light incense or drink kombucha or something like that. And then I'm going to be able to like get in touch with my soul and hear the voice of God. And, and maybe those things can help, but we just need to go back to the basics because the truth about relationships is that healthy relationships are much simpler than we think. We tend to overcomplicate things. It begins one with our hearts. It begins with making sure that Jesus is the voice shaping our hearts. And so how do we make sure that Jesus is the voice shaping our hearts? Well, we go to where he's talking. And that's the Bible. And it astounds me how many Christ followers think that they can have a thriving relationship with God and never go to his word. And the reason I say that is because it's his voice. And the enemy will fight ferociously to keep you out of his word because he knows that once you begin to see what God says to your heart, it's going to change you. And he loses. So I want to encourage you to do this. Read the Beatitudes once a day for the next week. Print them out. I actually have saved them as a photo in my phone. I just made an album that says Identity, and it just has a screenshot of them in my Bible app. For a long time, I've mentioned my love affair of food. I just had them printed, and I had them on my fridge. Have them somewhere you can see. Read the Beatitudes and remind yourself of how God sees you. For those of you in a dating relationship, read the Beatitudes and go, how can I bring this into my relationship? How can I be this person for the other person? For those of you not yet in a relationship, it still starts now. How do I begin to be this person now before the next, that other person comes? So that when they do, I'm ready. Let the voice of the Lord shape the condition of your heart. And that will set the foundation on which every relationship will be built on. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then Kelly's going to come up with some closing announcements. Jesus, thank you for your voice. Thank you that you are speaking. Thank you that you're speaking loudly. Thank you that you're casting vision. 
Thank you that when you believe in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves. Thank you that you don't quit on us. You don't give up on us. You don't see anything less than what we can be when you speak into our hearts. And so I pray for RPYA, but myself included. I don't teach this because I'm perfect at this. I teach this because I need this as much as anybody else. And so we're family and we're learning together. Thank you that as your family, we have a father that speaks directly into our hearts. We have a father that believes in us when no one else does. We have a father that strengthens us in a way we can't find anywhere else. And thank you that that is the foundation for healthy relationships of all kind, whether dating or romantic, whether co-workers, whether with family, whether those that make us joyful, whether those that have hurt us with our enemies themselves. You set the foundation for how we can approach them with health, not only to start that way, but to grow them and to let our relationships thrive. Because of your voice, we can have relationships that thrive, not just survive, but thrive. And I pray that we be intentional about going to where your voice is so that there would be nothing keeping our hearts from experiencing you and the transformation you bring. And it's in your name, Jesus. We all said, amen. All right, Kelly.